In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that, we, that he might deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, the Holy Spirit visibly descended upon him in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father publicly identified Jesus as his beloved Son, in whom he is well pleased. These were quite the public testimonies of who Jesus is. The very next verse is where our gospel lesson this morning begins, recording our Lord's temptation in the wilderness. The two events are in two different chapters, separated by a big, bold four in our Bibles. We may get the impression that they are unrelated to each other, just two different things that happen to happen. But let me read a few verses together so that we see more clearly that Jesus' baptism and temptation certainly go together. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When read together like this, I think we get a more helpful vision of the whole scene. The same Spirit who descended upon Jesus also led him into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit who accompanied such a clear and authoritative acknowledgement of Jesus as the eternally beloved Son of God, who as true man pleased God in all things, this same Holy Spirit immediately led Jesus to be tempted by the devil. Before we discuss Jesus being led and Jesus being tempted simply as something else that happened to him or as just another thing that Jesus had to do, we must first know that being led by the Spirit in this way we must ju- we was just as much a testimony of God's acceptance and approval as both the voice and the dove. For, as St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. When we are tempted, it can feel like God is abandoning us, or else it feels like we are abandoning God. Temptation includes more than just when we are presented with something appealing and we want it, but God says no. Temptation also includes the many common afflictions of life, the trials, the hardships, and the disappointments and dangers by which we find ourselves tempted to conclude that God is treating us unkindly or unfairly. These are great temptations. God commands us to trust him. Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. And we are tempted not to trust him, but to cling to the life we have as the only life there is. And this is at the root of all temptation, the temptation to doubt God's good will for us. If I do not take If I do not at least look, God will leave me unsatisfied. If I do not manage my own affairs, even if to the neglect of my higher calling to be a father or mother entrusted with the spiritual care and instruction of a child of God, well then who will manage my earthly affairs for me? Who will feed my children? If I, as a child of God myself, 
who must set aside time for the word of God and prayer, if I do not pour myself into my own work, even though it means I neglect to pray and to hear God's word and meditate on it, well, then I will lose my daily bread and God will not be able to bless me. If I, though I am a child of God, do not establish a happy life where my emotional needs are met, if I do not arrange my life in such a way that I feel that God is blessing me and that I have a bright future, well then, how can I trust God to take care of me? If I do not hold a grudge and get to the bottom of what that guy said or did, if I do not ensure that he suffered justice as he has made me suffer injustice, well then, God will fail to avenge me. Even though God promises to work it out for my good, I must work it out for myself. Temptation, we see, is more than what proves particularly alluring to the appetite in any given moment. Temptation is found in every hardship, every injustice, every setback, every perceived danger, and in the daily drudgery of life. We are tempted to distrust God. We are tempted to rely on ourselves. The sun sets behind us in the west where paradise was, where paradise should be. And we turn around like Lot's wife to see what could have been. The Holy Spirit leads the sons of God away. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus to be tempted away from paradise, towards the east, where there is nothing but danger and the eventual promise of the rising sun, the resurrection of the dead. And so he leads us also to deny ourselves. St. James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. God cannot be tempted. He does not lead us into temptation, but he leads the sons of God to face temptation. He leads those of whom he approves, as Jesus was publicly approved of when he was baptized. He leads approved of sons with everything they need to overcome evil. But God does not tempt. When we are tempted, it is because we have trusted our own desires more than God's promise. Plain and simple. The Spirit leads us where he will. He does not lead us away from God's approval. He lets us take it with him, with ourselves. He leads us where he will, where he will in order to teach us to cherish God's approval all the more and remember where we got it. He leads us where he will in order that we might make use of and rely on upon God's word. And this is what Jesus did. By fasting as he did, consider, Jesus conscientiously laid aside and divested himself of every human strength and advantage. He did not need it. It would not help. He had God's approval. That's all he needed. He had God's word. He was baptized and anointed by the Holy Ghost. As surely as his baptism was a testimony of God's favor, so Jesus shows that every affliction is also a testimony of God's favor. 
Or does the Holy Spirit lead us to let go of God's promises? See how the Holy Spirit led Jesus to make use of them. Jesus was led by the Spirit of God, and so are you. So are you who believe that by your baptism you are claimed as God's own child. So are, are you who trust that God is pleased with you for Jesus' sake, not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of new birth and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom God poured out on us generously. God tells you to believe this. These very words are written in Titus chapter 3, as plain as day. Jesus was baptized as he was, so that when we are baptized, according to his clear command, we too might know that God declares us righteous by grace alone and makes us heirs of eternal life with Christ himself through faith. Faith in what he promises us in our baptism. God tells the truth, and he tells us to believe the truth. He arms us with the truth. He says in Galatians chapter 3, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This putting on Christ is a reference to clothing. It's beautiful. Those who rend their garments need new garments when their display of penitence is over. On Ash Wednesday, we're told to rend our hearts instead. That is, rather than a display of repentance, we ought to acknowledge our sin to God. We who rend our hearts receive the sort of clothing that covers all our sin. As Isaiah records these words of Christ for us, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The beauty for ashes is the beautiful robe of righteousness, which is ours by faith. It is given in our baptism, as the Bible clearly teaches. This beauty for ashes consists of Christ's obedience in our place. It is the forgiveness of our sins. Through faith in Jesus, our baptism clothes us in garments of praise. We praise his mercy. He who was anointed by the Holy Spirit in order to do battle with the devil anoints us with what Isaiah calls the oil of joy for mourning, this is a promise of the Holy Spirit. It is to say that by his baptism, Jesus committed to gaining our salvation, so that by our baptism, he commits to giving us salvation. As St. Peter writes, and no gainsayer can possibly refute, baptism does now save us. We'll return to this verse later. But consider again these words that spell it out so clearly. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. But we are saved by faith, not baptism, object those who oppose infant baptism. But to whom do they object? These words are clear. Do they consider them? We are sons of God through faith. We put on Christ in baptism. 
Why must faith and baptism become an either-or? We have faith in all God's promises. We believe the promise that God makes to us in our baptism. We are sons of God by faith, yes. We are clothed in Christ by baptism. These two statements tell us the very same thing. So, so why the either-or? Well, I'll tell you why. I will tell you why those who deny that baptism gives or does anything insist on driving a wedge between faith and the new birth of water and the word. I'll tell you. As they are taught to regard baptism, so they regard faith itself. Baptism, they teach, is an outward sign of an inner change of the heart. When it is insisted that we are saved by faith and not baptism, what is really being insisted on is that we are saved by changing our hearts and committing ourselves and following Jesus, not by anything external like baptism, but something internal like faith. But see what faith becomes. It inevitably becomes your own work. Baptism thus becomes a sign of your own strength, your own internal resilience and fortitude. Now see the danger of this. When the promise of baptism is dismissed as a mere outward sign, when the real power of salvation is our own inner spiritual devotion, then in the face of temptation and affliction and trial, we are left with only whatever inner power we have. Oh, it came from God and we cherish it, but it's in there somewhere. Stir it up. We are left depending on how true we can be, how strong we can be, how trusting we can be. It is, is this why the Holy Spirit leads the sons of God? Where the devil tempted Jesus with such words, if you are the Son of God, did Jesus then consult the commitment of his heart, the devotion of his soul? No. He proved the commitment of his heart and the devotion of his soul by speaking God's word. He appealed to what was spoken by God, not to what he felt. And so must we. Yes, faith is personal. I can't rend your heart, and you can't rend mine. Yes, it is internal. Yes, it is the deep conviction and assurance of the heart. But it relies on what is external, always. It relies on what is outside of us. It depends on God's word and what he says to us. And he says that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Do you believe? Strong enough in every trial? But are you baptized? Cling to that and your faith finds its footing. God says that we who are tempted by the devil are not alone. We are clothed in Jesus. We have in our baptism the open and firm declaration that despite whatever remains of sin and evil desire in our hearts, whatever inclination to sin and repeated falls into sin, God declares that we are his own beloved sons and that the Holy Spirit confirms this, and he does. He confirms what the Father says about his sons and daughters, not in the form of a dove granted, but something better is the assurance of his forgiveness and approval for Jesus' sake. Here again, these words from Galatians 3, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, 
These are the sons of God. This is Romans 8. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. These are the sons of God. We prove that we are sons of God not by how strong and committed we can convince ourselves we are. The Spirit helps us in our weakness by reminding us what right we have to call God our dear Father. These are the sons of God. Not those who have overcome their own sin or who find strength within, but those in whom the Holy Spirit makes constant appeal to the mercy of God in Christ. St. Peter, who says so plainly that baptism saves us, also explains how. Baptism does also now save us, not by the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this teaches that the benefit of baptism is not that our temptations and weakness cease, nor that our old Adam is removed entirely. We must daily deal with our flesh. No, but God's promise in baptism is that we are enabled to drown him daily. We look to the east. The sun will rise. And those who die daily to Christ will most certainly rise again. For our baptism joins us to his death and to his resurrection. We are enabled, therefore, to deny ourselves, to be buried with him who rose, to have a good conscience in the forgiveness of sins, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Consider that. The benefit of baptism is that it prepares us for temptation. Baptism prepares us for temptation by giving us a good conscience when we are. When we're tempted to doubt God's care and protection. When we're tempted to make our home with sin. Because otherwise God cannot satisfy desires that won't go away. When we are tempted to to doubt God's providence and ability and willingness to satisfy us in every need. When we're tempted to take what God has not provided as though God will abandon us otherwise. When we're tempted to sin by doing what our Father has told us not to do. When we want to resist, then we do not fall back on how strong our faith is. We fall back on those sure words of God upon which our faith is established. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We do not judge God as faithful or not based on what we ourselves are able to withstand, based on whether this temptation or that is too powerful for flesh and blood. No, we judge God as faithful based on the promise he made to us when we were baptized, when he made us new creatures, when he joined himself to us and clothed us in the righteousness that he fulfilled in our place. And he did not fail. He did not waver. He overcame the devil for us. If baptism is a mark of our commitment, then temptation is only a test of our fortitude. The Spirit does not lead the sons of God to discover how strong they are. 
But if baptism is a testimony and assurance of God's grace, then temptation and affliction are testimonies and confirmations that God means to keep us, restore us, forgive us, and raise us again. The Spirit honors us as he honored Christ. He leads us to discover our weakness so that we might discover and become all the more convinced that that is precisely where his grace is made perfect. And so baptism does become a mark of our commitment if only we know it as a means of God's grace and favor. Because baptism is not a sign of our decreasing need for God's mercy and grace. It is a pledge and seal from God that he remains gracious to all who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. By the power of God's promise, we are enabled both to resist the desires, both the desire to live in sin and false repentance, and also the desire to trust in ourselves to overcome. For just as Jesus' obedience is given us in baptism, so we cling to his victory and triumph and patience when we are tempted. And so by embracing Jesus as our substitute, we are enabled to follow his example too. We follow his example by divesting ourselves of all righteousness, of anything that could cover our nakedness but what God himself has given to us. Just as Adam and Eve held and cherished the promise of the seed that would crush the devil's head. And Jesus proved that he himself is that seed by divesting himself of all strength in order to do battle with the devil that we face every day. He finally crushed his head when he paid for all of our sins on the cross and turned God's anger away. He is the seed of the woman. And better than some shadow, skin of animals, directing us to a future Sacrifice. He clothes us in himself so that when God sees us, he sees none of our sin, none of our weakness, but only the holy righteousness of Jesus. That is what our baptism gives us, and that is the strength we have to lay down our own lives, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, face the east to the rising sun, and know that God will raise us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.